to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes, and a very special guest. Today I have with me Don Anderson. Welcome, Don. Hi, everybody, and thanks for inviting me, Marie. Yeah, I wanted to share, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode than what I usually do, um, because usually it's just me chatting. And then last time we had uh, an interview with Lily Ray, which went really, really well. And so um, I started looking at uh, this article that Google wrote um, this week uh, about how they're using AI, artificial intelligence in their algorithms and uh, realized I was going to tweet about it. And then I realized, oh, this is more than a tweet. It's a blog post. And then when I wrote the blog post, I realized maybe I'm a little bit out of my area of expertise here. Um, and seeing as I preach uh, how important it is to have somebody with good expertise when you write content, I reached out to Don, um, who has been studying a lot in this area. So Don, can you maybe uh, explain your own EAT on this subject? Uh, I know you've got a bunch of schooling um, and expertise here. Um, yeah, so I've really been studying, if you like, information retrieval, which is the palm of computer science behind web search for quite a few years now. Uh, I'm not I'm not an expert in it, I wouldn't say. Uh, I'm an SEO, but I discovered when I was doing my Master of Science in Digital Marketing a few years ago, when I started to dig around in academic papers on web crawling, I discovered this whole exciting world of information retrieval. And that was back in 2017, I think. So for four years now, I've been I've been a bit of a lurker in the information retrieval world. I've been to quite a few of the conferences. I was on, um, if you like, the supporting panel for the web conference in San Francisco a few years ago, um, along with information retrieval engineers. And I've spoken about, I've actually spoken at a few of their conferences as well. Um, so it's covers things like crawling, entity-oriented search, um, as I say, just normal indexing, etc., and uh, ranking, obviously, uh, learning to rank, machine learning, supported ranking, and so forth. Just everything. It's actually a huge area of that's literally sits behind web search. So yeah, it's super interesting. So I spend a lot of time yeah. like geeking out in that space, yeah. But also I'm a yeah. practicing SEO. So you and I are really fun at parties, right? Talking <laughs> about algorithms and <laughs> I, I try never to sort of talk about what I do at parties. <laughs> I saw somebody put on Twitter this week a uh, cartoon, uh it might have been Cyrus Shepherd. Um he said, or here's, here's Cyrus at a party or something. And he's talking about like, did you know that when Google changes title tags, blah, 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 <laughs> it's probably not what most people at parties want to talk no, about, but uh, it's oh, exciting I'm too. Love, I, I mean, I love SEO, but I'm trying to get more of a balance to my life. So that's probably <laughs> smart. I'm very, you know, we, we tend to be all consuming with it as SEOs. It is a, an always on subject. So. Mm -hmm. And there's so much to learn and to know and to speculate about, right? And so the reason why I wanted you to come and talk with me was just this blog post that uh, Google put out about um, the advances that they've made in terms of AI uh, and really understanding language, I think, is uh, most of what they're talking about. Um, I think it's really important for us to discuss this because when I first started in SEO, I think that the main focus of search engines was matching keywords on pages, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how that is changing? I don't know if that's too broad of a question, but yeah, I think you know what I'm getting at yeah, there. No, no, absolutely. Well, obviously, as you say, historically, I mean, natural language understanding goes back, you know, to the 50s, probably anyway. So it's a, it's a very, very um, aged it's linguistics ultimately and the origins are in libraries and library science and obviously the internet and the web or the web in particular sorry it's just a big library that's all it is you know i went to an information retrieval conference and one of the, the if you like the giant the rock stars of their industry because they also have like rock stars had a t-shirt on that said the original search engineer librarian and, and that's, <laughs> that's all it is so ultimately we know that the web is literally just books and then pages of books with a page for being on a web page, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, but historically, understanding what was on a web page and matching that in search 
was traditionally just a binary match thing. Is the word there? If it's not, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Yeah. And obviously, if if a word is in is in the document or the web document, it gets included in the initial recall. You know, if it's not, then it's just completely ignored. Mm-hmm. Whereas now things have moved on and they can understand things and context of things and longer, you know, it's not just words, it's sentences. Some of the more advanced and recent AI um, algorithms, if you like, like BERT and so forth, can understand a word in the context potentially of a book or the whole of Wikipedia. So it's not just... There's, a, there's less ambiguity. Ambiguity is still there, but he's it's, it's more easily understood, for instance. Mm-hmm. They, Google always used that example of understanding the word bank in the context of, if you if you just said the word bank, you wouldn't know whether it meant bank on a river, bank, financial bank, but it goes right back to Firthian linguistics and the notion of you shall understand by word by the company it keeps. So if everything around it is talking about fishes, water, grass, it's definitely going to be about the riverbank. Whereas if the word is in a page or a collection of pages that are about money, finance and so forth, then it's going to be talking about currency yeah, and a bank, an institutional bank. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of coming through and it's not there yet. But you can see that things like questions and answers and so forth, all of this is data that is just feeding the machine of how language all fits together and and breaking it all down because some of the like things like BERT is so computationally expensive, or it was when it first came out, it was just impossible. You could never have run that in massive production search, only for mm-hmm. tiny, tiny, ambiguous queries like bank and its and so forth, yeah. Um, and funnily enough, all the things like the stop words that used to be missed out years ago, and this is how something something that has changed, Historically, we used to say, oh, well, you know, ignore all the stop words because they're a huge amount of words, but they don't add any value. Whereas now they actually are contextual glue. So yeah, they stop are. Stop words being, just in case uh, everybody is not aware, like words like to and from and yeah, uh, yeah things like but, that. Uh, yeah. All of the, for instance, the is the most popular, most commonly used word in the English language. Yeah. And it's huge to use, used a huge amount. So in traditional information retrieval, things like that were just, discounted mm-hmm. you know i mean they obviously still have quite a low value but when you take a sentence for instance they'll have low weight but they will add contextual glue for instance mm-hmm. because you could never and it depends on when it's used like the who the is very important yeah mm-hmm. you know but it's not in a sentence about you know marie went to the shop you know it's very low weight there so right it's all about weight and balances in language and how important things are together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's all changing very much. And and the more that Google understands language, it really should change how we do SEO, I think. Um, although it's very hard to practically say, you know, now we need to do this. Um, I think in the past, a lot of SEO was trying to reverse engineer uh, Google's algorithms. Because to some extent, um, take, for example, PageRank. Like, we know that PageRank is still very important. Uh, links are important. Um, but do you think that uh, it's changed in its relative importance? Yeah, I do, yeah. Okay. Because... Funnily enough, well, I think since the emergence of learning to rank, you know, learning to rank is uh, machine machine learning. Um, it's about, it really is something that seems to come through when core algorithm updates happen, yeah. So learning to rank is ultimately the uh, search engines identify a gold standard, if you like, a gold standard of what? good search would look like and then obviously it goes out to the quality raters and they market etc and then they have this thing called normalized discounted cumulative gain which all the scores come back in and then everything gets adjusted and then that gets maybe pushed back out to the whole algorithm and that's probably where a core algorithm comes in where a measure by human raters has deemed the test collection that got pushed out for human feedback you know, to, to say, does this look good? Yeah. But I think that ultimately there are now many, many things. There are entities which can give clues as to what things are. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 
beyond years ago there wasn't as much content out there as there is now so obviously there's more content and there's more good content as well mm-hmm. so the quality is much higher funnily enough a few years ago when andre lipatsev was on a, a, a webinar with uh, i think Amon was on it eric Henge, i think um rand was on it mm-hmm. And they had that conversation about what are the ranking facts and everybody went nuts when he went, oh, it's content and length, yeah. But they asked, but a lot of people missed out on the fact that what he said was, when there's not enough good content, we rely a lot on links, yeah. We have to rank spam, yeah, because mm-hmm. if we don't rank something, somebody's going to go elsewhere. Something's got to be there, yeah. Exactly. So in non-English languages, there's still a big, massive gap, but that's also being filled because the fact is now a lot of the... AI and natural language uh, algorithms are translating languages without having to go through English first. So, for instance, Facebook produced something, I can't even remember what it's called. It's a huge algorithm that literally translates English to Chinese without, French to Chinese without having to go through English. Yeah. Okay. Language. And I know that Bing and Microsoft are doing a massive push on X, uh, X multilingual modeling, yeah, if you like that's cross language, multi language modeling, machine learning modeling, yeah. So the language thing is huge because there's not enough content, native content in non English, in non non English languages in a lot of these countries around the mm-hmm. world, yeah. So that means that it's harder to rank things because the web is that is because the program is that because the frameworks are just built to understand English or they're they're trained on English. The the whole web is built on programmers English. Everything is built in English. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything. Legacy. Everything is built on English. The content, you know, the vast majority of content is in English, even though it's only a small part of the world. Yeah. So it's, there's a huge bias, you know, Ricardo Bierzi Yates did a huge study on bias on the web and he found there's a massive bias in favor of English. Because the web was built on English, yeah, mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. yeah. Even though it's a tiny part of the world, you're English speaking. There's a massive bias, yeah. So, so there's that. But, but the fact, the fact of the matter is, as Andre said, it's now one of very, very many things because there wasn't that issue with maybe localization, the geo aspects, the personalization. There wasn't the technology to make things more contextual and the best. Mm-hmm search results are the ones that are tailored to the user ultimately so mm-hmm. that's all come through so i think whilst links still do matter as almost final votes if you like or the second fine-tuned stages yeah so the later stages of ranking because there's multiple stages of ranking in all commercial search engines that's common knowledge across information retrieval and language natural language engineers and machine learning engineers because you can't possibly rank everything. You can't rank everything at once. You have mm-hmm. to say, let's get rid of all the non-runners. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's tiered. It's like a cascade ranking. So let's just get rid of, and then they have this thing called top K re-ranking. So we fetch back from a million documents, the top 1,000. And then that's mm-hmm. where the heavy machine learning comes in. And they start to like re-rank. And that's probably where things like learning to rank do come into it, where they utilize for research clicks, yeah. And there's an interesting model, actually, that's just been contributed by Bing called Orcas, which is masses of actual clicks and their queries and the documents that samples, yeah. Okay. That, that were returned. This, and that that that's the reason they've done that is because of ambiguity on the underspecified query. So say I type in, I don't know, let me use an example, Apple, right? Say I type Apple in, what do mm-hmm. I mean? Do I mean Apple fruit? Do I mean Apple mm-hmm. pie? Do I mean Apple recipes? Do I mean Apple the company? Depends. Mm-hmm. It all it everything depends, yeah. Because it's an underspecified query. It's, it's ambiguous and underspecified, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, no, it's not ambiguous. Let me think of one that is ambiguous. Rose, Rose is is ambiguous. There's lots of there's a di- big difference between underspecified and ambiguous. Yeah, underspecified mm-hmm. is could make. So, say I type in the word um, 
recipe. What do I want? What do I want? Do I want, want all recipes? Do I want I? Do I want you know a tutorial? Do I want pictures of recipes? Do I? You know, so you have to like you have to meet all the all the needs to be the most relevant. Yeah, mm-hmm. comprehensiveness mm-hmm. on the unspecified se- query. It seems to me that uh, one of the oh sorry. One of the things that um, Google has been most proud of uh, in terms of language and their advances here is in understanding the intent behind queries, right? That's what uh, yeah. Bert um, was was really uh, uh, the big advance in that, uh, I think, was probably their biggest advance in being able to understand intent. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? That uh, like, does, Is Bert, I have a question about Bert. I don't know if you can answer. Do you know if Google uses Bert to understand uh content on pages as well understand language on pages uh well, or do we know well, if it's mostly my, just queries yeah i think it's well i think it's both i think it's both on the um i think it's both on ambiguous all machine learning natural language models are using both but i think the, the problem was if you remember danny sullivan when he was at questioned he said oh it's really in the early the first stage of bert which was when he went from research production so 2019 it was still unbelievably expensive it has this thing called mm-hmm. quadratic dependency yeah which they use in in computer science and information retrieval and web search they use this thing called the big o notation yeah which is a measure not of it's used in all computer science it's not a measure of um, speed dependent on somebody's computer it's based on speed based on the number of computations that are required. And the problem with something like BERT is it has this thing called this computational dependency. So every word that is looked at has to be measured in in comparison with the words that surround it. So say it's in comparison, a context window with four other words. It's, It's four times, four times, four times. It's all to the power of, yeah. So it's not possible or it wasn't possible to use it at scale because the CPUs were just environmentally crazy. So it was really only originally used on the very most ambiguous things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Phrases, sentences, phrases, tiny little things where there may be ambiguity. So probably not on things like navigational queries. So if I type in Marie Haynes consultancy, it's not going to be using Bird probably because it's obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I use, Mm -hmm. if I type in triumph, maybe, a little bit on a sentence. Mm-hmm. But if I type in, you know, some like, I don't know, if I type in Google, it's not going to be used there. So it's just a little, very ambiguous thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering... oh, go, go ahead. On, sorry. And I okay. think, but I think the birth that we see now in Google, I think BERT was not the BERT algorithm or the BERT model that was released into re- open, open source natural language because. It was BERT-like. Everything's like BERT-like. It's almost the concept of BERT because BERT has many different uses. So I believe that the BERT in production that we hear of is probably a mile away from the one that was released in open source. Oh, interesting. But also they've built a lot of hybrids off that because, you know, you know, they use they utilize algorithms over and over and over in different parts, lots of modules, yeah, all Mm -hmm. over the place. Um, so I believe that, for instance, they're using lots of hybrid birds. For instance, Facebook released into open source something called Elect. Was it Google? I think it might have been Google that released Electra, which was much more used a different masking system. Bert used this masking model where they hide a word and then the model guesses what it is and so forth. Yeah, okay. then it all gets trained on what's the missing word type thing. And there's something called Albert, which was produced by. I think Facebook did Electra, actually. But anyway, there's loads of them. There's so many of them, both contributed by the natural language research community, but also massive search engines. And a lot of them are open source. So a lot of these big companies are using bits and pieces, almost like off the shelf, and then adapting. So I think there's been a huge hockey stick approach uh, to context and intent understanding because everything comes from language and the way the world fits together yeah mm-hmm. once you understand language more you understand intent more mm-hmm. and then when you start to overlap it with entities and crawling knowledge bases and knowledge repositories repositories like 
DBpedia, Wikipedia, layering on schemas and so forth, that ambiguity starts to fall away and links to answer your question in a very, very long way are, are literally a less less of a factor because <laughs> they're, they're less of their understands. Not, yeah, they're less they, yeah. I'm sorry. They were a smaller fish in a big pond, whereas originally they were a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, yeah. Is, you know, it's just one one final vote or maybe one of the, the fewer final votes, maybe on the head, on the head terms, which, because you can rank, you can rank many, many things without a single link, yeah, mm -hmm. by relevance. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of big sites that have millions of links, but they don't rank for anything because you've mm -hmm. got to meet the query first. They don't, if you don't meet the query, you can't rank. Which never wasn't always the case, right? Because in the past, you could yeah. take... Yep. like really mediocre content that maybe wasn't the best of its kind. And if you knew yep. how to build links, links yeah, were the power, the right? Yeah. I, I still think I, I read a study um, from Proficient Digital uh, last year that was talking about, yes, links are still a very important ranking factor, um, but their study said that only when they come from authoritative sites, which, uh, you know, kind of fits oh, with yeah. what we've been talking about. That is a link. If Google can recognize that, you know, oh, this authoritative entity has mentioned you, Don, or, you know, an SEO, um, that that connects right that that helps them to understand that um uh there is some authoritative yeah, exactly. there well humans are things yeah i, I could have tried to find it the other day actually and add it to your document apologies there my husband coming in no um a few i i think it was christy olton actually who was a speaker at an smx and what she'd said was yes bing can work out who the authorities are well it's it's like anything Six degrees of separation is a link graph. Do you remember this whole saying, like six yeah, degrees yeah, yeah. of separation? Kevin Bacon everything, thing. Yeah. You know, everything is a connection. You know, social social um, social connections are a, a web a web of connection, nodes and edges. Mm -hmm. That's it. And mm -hmm. as you said, an authority is probably going to be quite close. In a if you mapped it into a vector of similarity and so forth, and you laid it all out experts are going to sit quite close to the expert seats if you like so if you say in our industry probably the big experts are you know things like search engine search engine land or search engine roundtable john Mueller, you know whoever else you know people that sit there maybe they've contributed to it maybe they've spoken on certain subjects maybe they've got yeah. <laughs> it's all right don't worry about it we're all working from home we get it yeah, my dog yeah um so there will be 100 percent entity connections yeah so as you say on linked mentioned gary Esh has even mentioned that on his when he did that ask me anything what mm -hmm. do you use on link mentions for? entity determination yeah mm -hmm. you know so they can extract they can extract content they can like look at the content and say, hey, where are all the entities on this page? Do, 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 do. Extract them all, yeah? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because things like BERT allow for entity determination when you map it to like known entities, yeah? Mm -hmm. But also things like entity, like structured data, semi-structured data. Structured data can take the form of a table, you know, a, a table with data and fields and so forth. So this is all just mapping of things to strings, you know. Mm -hmm. So so there is that. So, so definitely SEOs, if you talk about topics, yeah. Yeah, as SEOs, how do we how do we take that information? I mean and and use it to our advantage because in the past I think a lot of SEO was like how can we trick search engines uh, into thinking we're more authoritative, yeah. more whatever. Um, wow. And I mean, there's still a component of that. We we still recommend we call it mention building rather than link building. Um, you know, trying to get mentions in authoritative places. Uh, but how has how has the work of an SEO changed? Um, understanding what you're saying about uh, you know the entities on the page and how Google extracts that. Is, is there something we can take from that and uh, and be better SEOs because of that knowledge? Yeah, well, I would say in this context, you are what you what you write about or you are what you speak about. So I would mm -hmm. say, you know, to clients and I would say to other SEOs, 
kind of stay within your lane. Don't try and cover too many bases. Yeah. Become an expert on a niche, if you like. Start with a niche, build from the niche and so forth, and then expand the niche into a topic and and understand the difference, you know, and just get your head around the notion of zip, Zip's law. Because if you are literally spreading yourself too thin, you're irrelevant for everything. Whereas Explain that. Can- I have I had not heard of Zip's Law uh, before um, I saw your presentation. And we'll link to the presentation. Uh, if you're listening to this on um, Spotify or, or watching on YouTube, it'll be linked. Uh, it's really, really good. And uh, even if, you, if you're if you an SEO, if you think you don't need to know about this, you're wrong. Because <laughs> I, I read your, your slide presentation. I was like, oh, my gosh, I should have seen this ages ago. Yeah. Tell me about well, this. Well, I always use the analogy walnuts and peanuts. And walnuts and peanuts means the big things that you are an expert on or what you're important on will rise to the top because they're the things where you do the the most internal linking, they're the topics that you would surface the most and so forth. So I would, I'd be thinking about doing things like, right, so I'll explain Zip's Law. So Zip's Law means, and PageRank is built on Zip's Law. It's, that's 100% it. So it, it basically everything is ranked in order. It's like halving, halving. Do you remember the old, like, when you go from page rank eight, you have to be yeah, double yeah, yeah. that, get to nine, and double that. So that's, that's Zipfian distribution, okay. perfectly aligned power law. So you end up with this very, very huge narrow head, yeah? And those will be the huge important topics, like what are the biggest search terms in the world, yeah? The, yeah, but... But that Zipfian distribution follows in everything in the world. It's a mystery, actually. It's a phenomenon of the world. Hmm. There's an amazing video called Zip's Mystery. And if you can link to that, please do, because it will blow people's minds. Because every single part of web search and computer science and information retrieval relates to Zip's law. Now, that also relates to caching, to what they will store in a cache on the short-term memory. So the most important pages on the internet will be stored in a very near access computers in search, for instance, yeah? And then the long tail. So, for instance, if you go super long tail at scale, you'll tank your website, yeah? Because all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, you become such a super, super long... You could become unimportant for too many things, yeah? Also... What happens is you're not triggering any queries, yeah? You've got loads of pages, search you know, page, you know, with 10 search volume. You just end up with so much stuff. And it comes back to also, you know, crawling probably follows this, this Zipfian distribution where the most important page, it's all based around importance. Mm-hmm. The many times that Google talked about everything is driven by importance. What does that mean? The most visited pages on the web will get crawled the most. The biggest queries, the pages that mean... You'll see it, you know, CNN constantly getting their logs smashed with Google crawling it because if CNN is not up to date, so everything follows this curve like this. So if you're seeing a tiny bit of crawling and it's going down, 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 and down, think about whether you literally just released a lot of pages that are like unimportant and don't match on the experience. That's mm-hmm. a big thing. And I've seen that over and over again where people are just, and I've done it myself, historically. I do a lot of things to test things where, you know, you you, you programmatically spit out a lot of content, see what happens, and it always follows the same. Initially, you get a big uptick where Google thinks, hey, look at all this, and then they realize that it's just spam, effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like so, the take-home message is, like, stay in your lane. To stay, stay in, in your what, lane. what you're stay. known as, yeah. Well, not just that. Stay in your lane. And in, keep improving the pages that are triggering queries. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. And, if the, and the pages you've got are, this is my view anyway, if the pages you've got are not triggering queries, think about, A, do they actually meet any need? Yeah. If mm-hmm. they don't, improve them to meet a need that mm-hmm. answers queries. Don't just keep spitting out content for the sake of it. Actually, meet queries. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I see a lot of blogs, for instance, that are just woolly, pointless. My yep. rambling thoughts, you know, who cares? No offense, yeah. That that's great. You know, if you're an influencer, sometimes you create content that's not designed for search, and it will get traffic, and it will get traffic in search. Um, because, for instance, 
you know, you may have a massive following. You're a right. thought leader. So actually, doesn't necessarily have to follow me query. But you have to support it as well with content that is for a purpose, yeah? Yeah. But if you have, yeah. like, loads and loads of, like, content that doesn't mean any queries, not getting indexed, for instance, and so forth, then think about how you can actually start to categorize that, maybe build a great section that actually meets the queries, yeah? So, yeah, yeah, stay in your lane, build a great structure that actually is designed to meet queries, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. types of content, etc. Don't, like, don't create lots of pages that compete with each other, for instance. Just, you know, just Have one fill- strong authoritative piece on, uh, yeah. Build strong pages and then overflow them, overflow them, overflow them when you start yeah. to think, hey, this could be a topic on its own right. This could be a topic on its own right. This could be a section, you know. So, yeah. So We've had really good success with um, doing things like content hubs. And uh, I think that's kind of what you're talking about, right, is, um, you know, here's our strong piece of content on this topic. And then here's all the other things we've got to support it. Uh, And those, yeah, the internal links support each other. uh, And then... Um, I think it. I think it helps Google uh, be more confident about the entity information in those pages. Um, yeah. You know, if they can see yeah. that I'm authoritatively covering and accurately covering uh, yeah. the, the entity, that information um, across multiple uh, parts of my site, I think that can be helpful. Um, yeah, in the blog post on uh, AI that Google put out, uh, they talked a lot about neural matching, uh, and to me, now this was an area that I. Was I don't know a lot about neural matching. I think this was the point when I was writing it. I'm where I said, "Oh, I think I need some help here." Um, and neural matching, though, what I took from that was uh, how neural matching uh, is really good for entity extraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that. Neural, ma- okay. neural, neural matching starts to map the world, if you like, using similarities. If you if you look a lot at what's happening in search. It's all based around vectors and similarity search and distances from things, yeah? So, mm-hmm. and also trying to look, almost like building search based on around the connections in real, in the real world, yeah? Mm-hmm. And then probability determination around classification. What type of thing is this? What type of thing is this? That's, that's that distance from that. So, for instance, your internal linking, you should try and, like, keep it really tightly tight, you know? Mm-hmm. Because those things live together in in vectors, in vector space, distance, you know. So, yeah, it's it's kind of almost like feed. They have these things called feed-forward networks. Is probability? Is this probability that this relates to this or this? Well, it's this, and then the next one, feed-forward, take the learnings, feed-forward, and that's that's kind of how neural matching works. It's various layers of mm-hmm. guessing classifying yes no yes no yes no and that's why i know it's not neural matching but you are you asked you asked about whether it's easy to spot spam i think once you start to get into machine learning supervised and unsupervised once you've seen enough of something it's literally a simple class case of what's the probability that this is what's the probability that this is an orange looking at all the pixels in that yes no yes no Confidence grows and eventually it's like, yeah, that's an orange. The same with spam blog posts. What's the, initially, it's like, well, we've only got so much data on it. What's the probability of this, this, this? The more data comes in, the more the confidence. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. spam. No, that's spam. You know? So I think, yeah, I think, like you said, neural matching is, is, a, is kind of a separate thing, but it's all based around probability determination and confidence yeah and i think i think like all of these really represent just google trying to be more accurate trying to uh not be you know not be able to be gamed but to be able to say like when we when we put this in front of a searcher we feel really confident that it's it's safe for the searcher it's it's authoritative um well that's where that's why at the moment that's why they use the heavy machine learning on the re-ranking and final ranking stages, yeah? Mm-hmm. So fetch back the top 20 and then seek to order it in descending order of intent. And that is really hard. That is what they call in information retrieval an NP hard problem. Never been solved, yeah? Because the descending order of intent should be perfect for the 
user at the right time in the right place. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So that is super expensive. Yeah. And it's done on the fly, if you like. Yeah. So it's machine learning at its finest mm-hmm. almost. And it's not solved. Yeah. Interesting. It's really interesting. Oh, sorry. You were going on. Keep I was going to say there's, I did a talk actually previous just recently the the most recent one actually that covers that subject of non-document independent dynamic search ranking yeah which is basically not taking a dog not ranking a document on what they call the probability ranking principle which is the holy grail of information retrieval yeah because historically what would happen is if you had a load of documents that were very very similar probability ranking principle would order them all in this in like one after the other and that's a very bad experience because they might all meet the same intent yeah okay. you used to have that issue with yelp do you remember yelp used to have like one to ten you know restaurants in london yeah yeah that's because they were all like they all measured the same on the probability ranking principle yeah okay so they're all equally relevant if you on a measure of relevance yeah mm-hmm. because that should go in like one half of that, a third of that, and so forth, half, you know, down, down the different distribution. But they're trying to not do that now, and it's a big, massive thing that they're really focused on in the, f- the field of information retrieval at the moment, making it so that actually the, the top 10, 20 results are not based on the probability ranking principle. They're re- based on document independence, yeah? Hmm. In other okay. words, the document that is ranked in a certain space is ranked taking into consideration everything else that is a candidate in, say, the top 20 and putting them all in the right order to meet lots wow. of different ends in descending order of intent. And that comes from clicks. So knowing what the intent was foremost, that's where you get, in part, query intent shift, where all of a sudden, Black Friday, everything switches to e-commerce rankings, mm-hmm. yeah, sports mm-hmm. queries and ra- travel queries. Sports and travel swaps around a few times a year when sport derbies are on. So say, for instance, you have, if you've got like a city or, I don't know, say you've got, say you're in the US or Canada, I know you like hockey, for instance. Maybe some of your teams are named after the places, yeah? But some of the time, those queries might be travel queries. So say, for instance, you say, I don't know, Ontario, Toronto, that might be a travel query 90% of the year. But if they're playing each other at hockey, all of a sudden, everything will switch for sports and their whole intent Mm -hmm. becomes sports related. So that's what search engines are trying to do. And that's called temporal search ranking as well. Mm -hmm. That's based on time. You know, it's like if the query intent shifts, we should order things based on the intent at that time. Really, really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it is. I've noticed something uh, that we've seen after some of the most recent core updates is uh, the top results. It's almost like you can see that, oh, the first one matches this intent and the second one is this intent. And, and you know, maybe, the order of intent at that time. Yeah. So now I'm going to pay more attention to that with uh, what you just said in mind, because uh, it really does seem that way that sometimes they're not sure, you know, is the searcher looking to shop or, and so they'll show. And then if you, so let's say uh, our client was an e-commerce page that used to rank on page one, we can often see that, well, before this update, there were like eight e-commerce pages ranking on page one and after only two of them are. Um, and so, uh, you know, those are some of the situations where uh, Google might say, you know, there's nothing particularly wrong with your pages. It's just that just Google's figured out the intent. Yeah, well, and that that shifts a lot, yeah. And it's mostly from, it's mostly certain times of the year, like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, mm-hmm. Christmas, times where the intent is buy, buy, buy. Literally everything becomes a transactional result that time mm-hmm. of the year, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. You see it. And, you know, there's that famous example of Easter, and it's in an academic paper by Kira Radinsky. And if you've not read that, there's a lot of stuff around this query intent shift. She's really well known for it, cited a lot. She was at eBay and now I think she does a lot of stuff in the machine learning space in natural language understanding. But um, the, the query she used in her PhD paper was the word Easter. That, sh- that shifts in intent lots, yeah? 
If okay. I'm looking for Easter in January, all I want to know is when it is. Yeah. yeah. And the date yeah. will come up. And that'll be like Easter is whatever day it is because it changes as we know. Mm-hmm. Two weeks before, things to do starts to come up. Yeah. Okay. Places to go at Easter because people are planning and that's a massive shift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on, the, on, on Easter Sunday, somebody will type into Google or whatever Easter. The intent has shifted to what does it mean? Because right, right. When, it's like I might type in because I'm not. I don't celebrate Thanksgiving because I'm in the UK. Mm-hmm. I might be typing in what does it? I don't no idea what the history of Thanksgiving is. I know lots of people are doing it right now. Yeah. Thanksgiving. What does it mean? Immediately it comes to the Wikipedia page. What it's all about. Mm-hmm. So query intent shift is something that happens all the time. We don't always notice it. And it's and it's changing. Everything is changing. So a lot of these, when we see, for example, the SEMrush sensor um, and Mozcast and and those tools that try to figure out, you know, how much turbulence is in the SERPs, a lot of the time, like we've had these things that we've said, oh, it looks like there was an update, but Google didn't announce anything. And really there it's hard to see patterns in what changed. Maybe that's just reflecting uh, the world changing. Like the, yeah, yeah exactly. like the, you know, what's important, uh, you know, it's Thanksgiving here. Well, maybe it's like a, <laughs> an important day in another country that, you know, shifts those uh, exactly. those search results. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, I use the example in one of the talks I did. I use the example of four candles. Yeah. Now, four, if you've never seen the two Ronnies, it's a pretty famous uh, comp comedian. They're both dead now, sadly. But they were brilliant in like the 70s and 80s. They were really famous. And they had this sketch called Four Candles, yeah. So when they both died, yeah, and I use that example as an uh, for ambiguity because the comedy sketches were around the ambiguity on play on words of um, Four Candles. This guy goes into um, a, a, a hardware shop and one can't understand the other's language and he thinks he's saying Four Candles and it's Four Candles, yeah. So he comes back with four candles and he goes, no four candles. Yeah, and it goes on like that. Very good. But it illustrates the challenges that search engines face, not just with words, but with what they call homonyms, which are say homonyms. That's spoken yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. sound yeah. the same, yeah. Even, which is even harder because obviously now we've got voice search emerging and it's rubbish still. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's partly because it's such a big challenge. Anyway, the point is, when I was researching that, I typed in the entities Ronnie Corbett and Ronnie Barker and Four Candles into Google Trends. And, you know, there were two massive spikes on that query, Four Candles, yeah, and on their names. And it was it was, it was was on the day that both died, there was a massive okay. spike on the word yep. Four Candles. Now, if you didn't know what it meant, mm-hmm. you wouldn't. If you had no clue that either of those had died, you wouldn't understand that things you know, what I'm saying is we, we don't know sometimes why things are changing because exactly, we're not yeah. privy to every single person's intent in every part of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can only go off we can only go off our own small world, if you like. And that's that's really helpful to us because for a few years that's what we tried to do. Like every time there was a big update, we would try to figure out what did Google do and how can we adapt to it? You know, and that was good when maybe like in the days of early days of Penguin, we could say, oh, well, it looks like sites that had this type of link were affected and and we could, you know, maybe use the disavow tool. But like today when Google has an update, it's very hard to uh, specifically point out something, um, you know, that you've done wrong. Uh, and, and they give us, uh, I'm sure you've seen Google's blog post on um, what core, uh, what webmasters need to know about core updates. And there's a, there's a list of a whole bunch of questions about, you know, is there appropriate expertise? Is this substantially better content than what's out there? Um, and when that first came out, I think a lot of people were like, well, this is wishful thinking. You know, Google can't really measure these things. Well, they uh, can't because they have, feed, they, have the, they have what they call human in the loop, yeah? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the human in the loop, they, every search engine, every information retrieval, like engineer, and in, in actual just... The, the, the studies that they teach in universities or whatever, or every course, says that at every stage of information retrieval, there must be a human in the loop. And the human in the loop is called the feedback part of it. 
So the engineers work on the the um, they take a gold standard and they try to replicate it. And then they, when they think they've got it right, then it goes off to human raters, and that's the human in mm-hmm. the loop. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they have what they call human in the loop in the wild, and that's the test that Google does and all the experiments on samples of real searchers. So so the quality raters guide and the whole like the humans are really important part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So relevance comes from the final check is what do the humans think? Let's take all the feedback, adjust everything accordingly, not a single site level, but just take the whole measure and adjust the whole collection accordingly to get nearer to what they call the gold standard. And then when it's near enough, what they call loss, minimal uh, loss level that's acceptable, that's when it would get pushed out. Yeah. So you're 100% right in that the human quality raters are given guidance on is this an appropriate result and is it written by enough with enough expertise and expertise and authority i don't think i don't think it's um i don't think there is such a thing as an eat algorithm i think it's just a part of the feedback loop I think it's a component. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's it's a way to talk about the things that could be assessed yeah. um, in determining authenticity. Uh, exactly. It's, like, yeah. it's not like a you, score. Or, no, exactly. Yeah. So, well, in effect, it's not a score, but it is a the measurement is the humans that look at that expertise, authority, and trustment. And there is a score that comes back, and the score is normalized discounted cumulative gain, which everything gets adjusted by from all the <laughs> hundreds of thousands or whatever, however many human quality rates are there, that's there's, a, there's an adjustment based on expertise, authoritiveness, and trustworthiness. Is it spam? So forth. Mm-hmm. Distance, distance from here's our offering. This is what good looks like. What's an acceptable loss, if you like. And maybe then after it's the core algorithm is updated and rolled out, they maybe make some slight adjustments again, and that mm-hmm. might be to reduce that loss based on the fact that these are now the final stages. Final stages now real people, so it's a bigger sample. So maybe the bigger sample has come back with some slight adjustments to, to minimise that loss, if you like. Mm-hmm. A little. So there is there is a score involved, but it mm-hmm. it's not perhaps what we think. It's, it's I was just reading before uh, before we got talking um, uh, on Twitter today, uh, they were talking about a patent about, I think it's from like 2007 or something, uh, but about um, author, uh, scoring author credibility uh, and just all the, the different ways that uh, Google can determine authenticity. And, you know, it, it, it just, it blows my mind how far we've come from just links and page rank and, uh, and trying to really understand. The well, web. machine learning has been the massive magic formula because the computational power of them, that's it. You know, machine learning, uh, semi and unsupervised machine learning has been the, the massive battery. I mean, obviously there is this challenge because it's still very expensive mm-hmm. in computationally, environmentally, and obviously we have the whole world which is on high alert with the environment at the moment. So it's that that's an area that needs to be like addressed. The, the computational expense of it. The biggest bill of search engines is the electricity bill, which is yep. not good mm-hmm. for the environment. And I know Google have even talked about, for instance. With uh, crawling, it's very expensive, not good for the environment, and so forth. And index now and Bing, right. so so so. But but machine learning. I mean, not everything will use machine learning as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. some things will just be. I think still there'll still be that. It's easy to take a hammer to a nut, as they say. Sometimes some things will be will use legacy <laughs> systems. There's a lot of stuff uh, being looked at. I know in the in the um, IR space around these various stages of ranking. And that's that's something that they're trying to maybe use machine learning more and more on because there's, um, there's a lot of papers that talk about how a lot of them are still using these really old systems where you have like, this initial like really poor binary system that like checks if a word is in, is in a document and it only fetches it 
back if, into the first fetch if the word is mm. there type thing. And that is a legacy thing that's gone that's decades old now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to improve that. But so the machine learning is the really, really big part of, of all of this hockey stick changes. Yeah. Right. But it's not perfect. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not perfect by a, by a long shot, mm-hmm. really. I've seen a lot of complaints about Google search lately. Actually, I'm talking yeah. to a reporter this week about uh, a story on, um, you know, how a lot of people think Google search has gotten worse. Uh, and I think that we're sort of like in an intermediate stage here where um, machine learning yeah. and AI advancements will will make search better. I think in some areas it has. It's made yeah. it more trustworthy. Yeah. Uh, but then in some areas it's not uh, as good right yeah. now because we're still learning. No. No. I think I think I think there's still like disambiguation and dilution is still there's still a real challenge, you know. But bear in mind what we just talked about, whereby all of these people we're all looking at search and looking at from looking at it from our perspective, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're not maybe taking into consideration what that intent, this dynamic, this potential dynamic changing intent, yeah. You know, we we're, we're if everything, if say for instance, our religion is, you know, Christian or Muslim or whatever, and everything changes in favor of something big that's happening in another religion, it's very easy for us to be a bit siloed in what how we're seeing things when maybe mm-hmm. things are changing mm-hmm. a lot based on a bigger majority or many other different um, ambiguous or underspecified, more specified queries, if you like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I find sometimes too, I'll think that search is maybe not working because I'll search for something and then uh, I control F on the page and the word that I search for is not there. Um, and But sometimes when I look though, like my answer is actually there. Uh, and it's in, the collection. it's in the collection of that site. So that site could be an authority. Yeah. And it could have a great section on it and, you know, and so forth. So you could be able to navigate to it. It might be well linked on it and so forth. But I think... I think yeah, we're 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 looking at things a little bit, and we also we as SEOs, I think we also tend to not look on the super long tail when we mm-hmm. when we query mm-hmm. things. We're looking yeah. on the head all the time. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's have a look at cars. Oh, have you seen the results? They're terrible. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's descending order, maybe descending order of intent. Then it's dynamic. And, and how many yeah. people actually yeah. search for cars, right? Like, you know, the well, I mean, I the word itself, if, cars. Yeah, if, yeah, they probably. Probably do, but it's such an underspecified query. What does yeah. it mean? It could mean so many things. Yeah, it's yeah, the intent yeah. is huge on the head. Yeah, mm-hmm. like dresses. Do I mean? Uh, do I mean size? Whatever. Do I mean black? Do I mean? You know? Do I mean um, cocktail dresses? Do I mean long dresses? Do I mean evening dresses? Do I mean? You know, people are not mapping things to the intent journey. Yeah, they mm-hmm. went all there mm-hmm. like, hey, look at look at this head term, the results for that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And know. I think understanding, you know, focusing on what the user uh, is intending to do and and what they're trying to accomplish, and then making it really easy for them to find that on your site and uh, and and to trust the information is yeah. really the key right now. Yeah, um, but not, I had but wanted not, to. No, I think people. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to no, say. No, no, go ahead. I think people. People, I think people go too long tail with it though now. And then it's very hard when something is so far from the core of something, it becomes fuzzy, yeah? And mm-hmm. also when you have like many things that are quite similar, you almost end up with this fuzzy search thing where, well, that could be a candidate, but that could be a candidate, mm-hmm. that could be a candidate. So you end up with fighting with yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. people should really avoid going too, too, too long tail because. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, why don't we finish up by, and I don't know if we can, if we have time to, uh, to talk about this, cause I had a lot of questions, uh, it was mum, uh, mum upcoming. And I, I know, um, Google has said that they're using mum. Uh, the current use in search is for vaccine information that mum was uh, able to allow Google to take all this really like rapidly changing information about vaccines yeah. and be very, uh, they trust that they're able to put that information together um, in a good way. It's like, it's like a multimodal curation of many things. Yeah. 
Tell me, what, what do they mean by multimodal? Explain that uh, first. Oh, you remember that example that they've got where somebody says, I've been hiking in the Pennines. The Pennines is near me. Well, you can't hike there, but it's not very high. Anyway, the Pyrenees, yeah. So um, so I've been hiking in the Pyrenees, and now I want to hike in the Alps. Uh, what do I need type thing? So it's mm -hmm. effectively, I know that the few of the blog posts talk about the fact that with a lot of machine learning, a lot of it is starting from scratch every time and you have to build something and start all over again, which is a complete waste. When you consider as well these all these other factors of, you know, financial, computational, environmental, a lot of repurposing is possibly now available. So I think mm -hmm. from what I can gather, mom is eventually going to utilise a lot of the learnings that have been gained in this past few years with birds and all the different hybrids and super birds that everybody's created and then start to also apply it across languages across across images across video across all these different verticals of things because obviously image search video search completely separate field of information retrieval because you don't mine images right. you you don't uh, mine videos you categorize with entities and so forth, yeah? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And lots more machine learning and images with pixels and stuff like that. So um, so I think this multimodal thing means bringing all of these things, many things together, a curation of all of the things, yeah? So not just 10 blue links, you know, universe, all of just everything. So like if somebody wants to go hiking in the Pyrenees, they probably want to look at videos, they probably want to look at images. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence that the examples provided showed images, videos, text, questions, blog posts. And I think the whole like discover things and the the whole discover and the whole um, questions and answers, which is feeding the understanding and all the data that's being contributed, like this Google natural questions that's being contributed now to natural language researchers. There's Orcas, which is the click data set. There's Passage indexing, which was had a massive amount of data contributed by Bing to natural language researchers as well. Uh, and there's loads of others. So it's like all of these things eventually, Mom seems to be like a massive masterpiece of all of this repurposed across many, many facets of information um, provision, if you like, meeting information needs across many different media and you know conversation it's everything everywhere and omnipresent mm -hmm. um yeah every every type of every type of uh, extension upon that need if you like mm -hmm. and it's not going to happen straight away obviously there could be a lot of vectors that are connected there's going to be a lot of computational necessity with it it's a big thing i would say mm -hmm. I think the mom thing is probably just a very, very simple example that they've used, but very necessary at the time because of the disinformation that potentially was going around, yeah. Mm -hmm. Really needed a worldwide crisis, pandemic status. Um, and actually, I think it all loops back to, do you remember a few years ago they talked about search for the next 20 years? That where they talked about three massive changes they were coming over the search for the long term. Yeah, so it's a bigger plan. It's like the user is the query. So it's all around more and more. And they've already said that mom could potentially be an, an, a built-in platform that's designed around humans. Discover yeah. is really hard to emulate because it's focused on what the user's interest are. There's mm -hmm. a temporal nature. It's hit and miss, etc. How can you, you know, you can really only provide stuff around hobbies and interests and so forth. So there's, it's really hard for tools to emulate it. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, so what is that? A move towards images in a different form of media that's beyond text. And that fits in with search engines doing a lot more around images and asking us to add captions. They're ramping mm -hmm. up a lot of the, you know, the, the field of machine learning uses a lot of image recognition now in its research, pixels and so forth, and image recognition, and a lot of that classification, is this an orange, is it an apple type thing? Right. Is this a Pomeranian or a pancake? That was 
know, so and the more data you have, the more the confidence grows over time. Yeah. So yeah. that's why there's so I mean, there's so much data. There's Kaggle, for instance, which is data banks, which is, and all these researchers all working together. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like times. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like mom is just going to help Google to pull a lot of this together in understanding the web better. Um, because, you know, they've gotten so much better in understanding text in the last few years. Um, and when you combine that with, I, I know one of the examples they gave in the search on um, presentation Google was, lens. yeah, the, it was lens. A, the lens. Yeah. Yeah. Google lens has me very excited. Uh, and I, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. I mean, it's more than just, let me put my point my phone at yeah. something well, and you can tell me yeah. what it is. You know, I, I think it's really going to evolve into... Um, it's going to be uh, massive. Image recognition is going to be massive. Because think about it. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, just, go ahead. Go ahead. You, I want to hear uh, what you have to say. <laughs> the next generation, the next... I mean, we are all, we are SEOs. A lot of... I mean, I know there's a lot of great young people coming through, and that's wonderful. But a lot of SEOs are... They, some of us are a bit older, yeah. And I think we tend to be a little bit stuck in our thinking, and we're not thinking about the next generations coming through. And the next generations are different, yeah? Mm -hmm. They're image-led, they're video-led, they're consuming TV in different ways, they're consuming yep. sport, they're doing everything differently. So search is now focused on the next, the, the generations that are about to come into spenders, yeah? They're, they're the, next, the next consideration, yeah? So mm -hmm. everything needs to be around very image-based, yeah, for instance. Yep. That's why everything is rampant. And the technology is, is following the demand. That's it. The technology mm -hmm. is following where is the focus, yeah. And mm -hmm. it's this huge bank of, you know, images that is everywhere, yeah. So mm -hmm. so much that have, could it, be learned. We have to be thinking about the next generations that are yep. coming through. You know, they, yeah, what matters to them? Because they're coming into, I mean, ultimately search engines are commercial and everything commercial is driven by demand and that's what's coming through, the next <laughs> generation of spenders. That's mm -hmm. it. Because yeah. the Zipian distribution, you know, a lot of people going out, people coming in, people becoming the emerging spenders, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. think, think, it's fascinating. think of everything, yeah. the world. If we think of everything, our sites with this whole like, what is important, and remember that importance takes this curve. The work, the populations of cities takes that curve. If you're focusing on trying to build things for every town in the world, you're going to come a cropper because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Yeah, focus on the hubs, the hubs, the hubs of importance. Those hubs that we talk about, the big topic hubs, they're what they call strongly connected components. And the mm -hmm. world is full of strongly connected components, which follow a Zipfian distribution. There's some a few websites that have the most links in the world, yeah. But then it just drops off a cliff over, right. over time. So mm -hmm. we have to always remember this Zipfian power law in everything that we do in SEO mm -hmm. and everything, you know. Don't, <laughs> don't kill ourselves trying to rank for 10 query pages. It's not worth it. Go for mm -hmm. big stuff. Go for the bigger and then you know, go for the prize, the big yeah. prize. That, that makes sense. That's, that's kind of how my career came to be was, you know, I focused on Google penalties and became, that was my subject matter. You know, I was the expert in that. Um, and I think that gave me some level of authority uh, to be able to then go talk about other uh, subjects in terms of SEO. Um, so I think, you know, one of the main take-home points for uh, people listening would be to focus on your area of expertise and build and that overflow. out. Yeah. Overflow SEO. Do something. Do it well. Overflow yeah. it. Overflow it. Overflow it. Break, keep breaking it down into categories as you've got enough of a topic to be strong, to be a strongly connected component. Mm -hmm. yeah. And dampen mm -hmm. everything else. Dampen everything else. Because you have walnuts. Do you remember I said at the very beginning, walnuts and peanuts? Walnuts yep. always rise at the top in a bowl of nuts on a bar. Not that anybody's putting their hand in bowl. Well, not that anybody's doing that anymore where you put your hand yeah, in right. a bowl of <laughs> nuts a on a bar. No, nobody does that anymore. But it's an analogy <laughs> that's used a lot. You see it in all these motivational talks about talent and about everything in the world. The walnuts and peanuts 
walnuts rise to the top, make your topic a walnut. And that yeah. is how I think you become an expert. Yeah. And then you'll get Good natural stuff. links because actually mm-hmm. you're an expert mm-hmm. and you'll get genuine links because you write on a topic with authority and you're an expert on it because you've read that much on it, you know. Exactly. And I think uh, as Google gets better at understanding language, I really believe that they understand uh, more and more which links are truly uh, recommendations and recommendations from people that matter um, yeah. as opposed to manufactured. So the uh, walnuts will rise to the top in, in the link graphs on the web and the entity graphs on the web. Mm-hmm. The strongly connected components will be visible the more data they have. They will lift up. That's how it, that's how it looks in a graph. Mm-hmm. If they mapped it, in a with data you would have these clusters strong clusters yeah that are literally strong yeah lots of dots around there yeah (laughs) like the others are crowding around that's that core point and that's that's what we want to be then right we want to be the i want to be a lot of dots (laughs) yeah if all of a sudden if all of a sudden you have this tiny random dot with nothing and then a million link pointer and nothing else is no none of the other walnuts have referenced it. That's not a natural link, is it? Upon a That's topic. right. That's right. It's, yeah. No, it would be very easy it, to see it, those patterns. It's gonna scream at you, yeah, if you're mm-hmm. if you're a data scientist. So mm-hmm. yeah. So it's yeah, well, that's this has been good. What a great we should I do this more often. Useful. I hope it's been useful. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. I Thank you. I know uh, I don't want to keep you because I think you, you're you going out for a run now, right? Is that... Uh, well, you're... actually, I'm not now because there's a huge storm here. We don't ah. get that many. And just before I came on this call, like three minutes before, my son rang me to tell me that his shed had blown out of his garden yeah. and went into a car, actually, and all the neighbours had to, like, go out and pull his shed back into his garden. <laughs> so I've spoken to my r- r- group of runners and we've said we're not running that said, I will. I am gonna like move my dinner forward instead. There you go. Uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to go out and get blown away by the wind. That would no, uh, not be a good not. way to end the day. <laughs> well, um, Don, if people want to reach out to you. Uh, how can they do that if they want to connect with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Doniando, uh, and I'm um, via my website Bertie b e r t e y dot com Bertie dot com. Uh, that's probably the best places to be honest uh via twitter uh donny donny and or via bertie.com i would recommend following don on twitter i know you don't tweet as much uh, as you have in the past but when you tweet stuff it's it's always very very interesting and thought-provoking so uh so thank you for that um for if anybody wants to reach me and my team you can reach us at help at mariehaines.com and um yeah thanks so much for listening to this episode and i wish you the best of luck with your rankings (laughs) 